coach got on me at halftime about uh, my body language and just trying to play with passion, play with joy. Going over the edge isn't going to win me a championship. I learned my lesson, you know, so. Fool me once, you can't fool me twice. You know it's only right that we start this podcast off with the Bay Area legend E-40. Welcome back to another episode of Dropping Dimes. It's Brittany Johnson alongside Sasha Bloom. What is going on, Sasha? How is everyone? We're good. Today, our guest is Ben Dowsett, Deputy Editor of Basketball Insiders. Ben, what's up? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. All right, thank you. You know why you're here, right? Oh, I know. NBA Finals. Yeah. Let's get right to it. Golden State Warriors made everything appear easy in Game 2 of the NBA Finals Sunday night, beating the Cleveland Cavaliers 132-113 to to take a 2-0 lead in the series. Ben, what do the Cavs need to do to shut the Warriors down? Among things that are humanly possible? Is that the... Is that <laughs> they the, can be humanly possible or impossible. Well, that's the thing, is I'm like, I'm not sure whether the answers to your questions are humanly possible things or not, like given the, you know, the people who play for the Cavs and the people who play for the But Warriors. they have LeBron, the king. He's the savior. He's supposed to come in here and dominate everything. They do, and I do think, like, and I'm this, by the way, I'm the serious guy, so I'm going to, like, do the act, like, where I'm going to dig into the X's and O's. No, but I, th- I I think the Cavs can play better, like, offensively, definitely, especially, you know, J.R. Smith has been really bad. I don't think Kyrie Irving's been very good, but... To answer your question, defensively, I, I, I'm watching and I'm just not, I, I'm not seeing the way that they can be that much better. I'm not like in the first half of game two, for instance, they were, I, I think the Cavs played at or near their, their defensive peak threshold, like what they can do defensively. They forced, what was it, you know, 12 turnovers maybe or something like that in the first half. 14. They forced a ton. Yeah. They forced a ton of turnovers. They, uh, they were all over the place. LeBron had a really high activity level. I think they had 11 steals after having zero in the entirety of game one. If I, that, might, that number might be slightly off. And they were still losing at the at the end like half. 12 they, to 20 points. No, no. At the end, it was only three. But still, but like during they, the, right. the series of the first half, they were almost down by a dozen. Every, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then they were down three headed into the half. Uh, and it was just like at that point, I was sitting there thinking, I just don't know how much of a better half they can play. Especially defensively, maybe they missed a few shots and they missed a lot of threes for the entire game. Like I said, that might improve, but like I don't, I just and I, I'm sorry to start off with like saying I don't know as they, they such a to, downer. But like I I I don't see the personnel on Cleveland's roster to stop these guys. They don't have that not to do both. You can't see in that first game they got destroyed at the rim. Kevin Durant six dunks the first half. That whole thing. In the second game, they actually did a really good job defending the rim, but they gave up 43 three-point attempts, and, the, and Golden State made 18 of them, which I think is the most ever in a finals game, if I'm not mistaken, for a single team. They, I don't see how they do both. Like, you can load up and stop their drives, or you've got the personnel to stop them maybe from shooting, maybe from shooting their kind of volume of threes. I, it, they don't have a traditional rim protector. LeBron might be the best guy they've got there, and you're starting to kind of see him wear down in the, in the second half of games. I wish I saw it. I would really love to see a competitive series. I just at the at this moment I don't see it because I don't see the guys like who who's the guy on their bench that they can go to or the combination they can go to that's going to change something about the way the Warriors are scoring on them. So is it more or less the Cavs can't do it or they don't have anyone or is it that the Warriors are just so good? Well, I think those two are a, a function of the same thing basically. Like I I <laughs> it's scary to say this. 
the second half of that of game two was a pretty close approximation, but over the course of a full game, I'm not sure if we've seen as good as the Warriors can be yet. Like they weren't very good in the first half of that game. They were they're pretty by their standards, they were pretty crappy. They had all those turnovers. Steph uh, had six alone. Yeah, Steph had the six turnovers. They were uh, they let LeBron get to the rim pretty easily several times. Uh, Draymond was in foul trouble for the entire half. Uh, Durant played center a couple of times during the half. Like they really they did not play that well, and they took a complete haymaker from LeBron James. Uh, you know, almost certainly one of the five three best players to ever play the game, and then they were still winning at the end of it. And that just tells you the gap between this team and the Cavs and maybe between them and, and, and everybody else in the league at this point, which is, I know how downer that is to say, and I'm sorry, but that's, it's unfortunately, it's what I see at this point. We don't do sad news on this podcast. No, I know. It's not, it's still like, I mean, <laughs> Hey, for as much as people dislike it, we can, or some people dislike it. We can still appreciate the, the, I mean, I think we're, everybody used this up last year and it didn't end up being true. And so you don't hear it as much this year. This Warriors team is by far the best team I've ever and I guess I, you know, I was young when the with the Jordan Bulls and things like that. And comparing teams across eras is kind of dumb when you really get down to it. But as far as like cumulative talent on a team, I don't think anybody's ever had this much. Do you enjoy watching them? It's an interesting question. Uh, I enjoy the 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 level of because I mean I'm a huge basketball nerd, and it's at some point it becomes almost artistry. To, to watch that's those. exactly what I think I think of artists when yeah um I do think I totally see people's point as far as uh, I worry a bit like I I want to see compelling basketball. I want to see compelling basketball in the at in the biggest stages that's I love the NBA playoffs they're like what I live for every year and it I do worry slightly about the next couple of years I'm not worried about five years down the line it's crazy to project that far but I am a little about the next couple of years and whether anybody can really touch these guys because this, frankly, these playoffs have sucked, and we're we're allowed to say that. Like they these, especially compared to like last year, for instance. Assuming nothing turns around in these finals here, these playoffs haven't been very good, and I think it's I think it's you know worthy of our concern at least. The thing that changed my whole idea on what the Golden State Warriors were was Game Two of the finals. About seven and a half minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. Kevin Durant had the ball. Um, LeBron James is guarding him. LeBron James gets picked. Durant, instead of, uh, passes the ball to, and then they shoot a three-pointer, and then you see LeBron James, his head goes down, and you can almost see him mumble, I don't know what to do. And the rest of the game, he was done. It almost looked like he quit. The king would never say he doesn't know what to do. And I'm being sarcastic because I'm not a LeBron fan. (laughs) Are you not? No, not um, at all. I don't think it's as much of him, like, giving up as him just, he's got nothing left by the end of these games. The... It's something that it's hard to pick up when you're, you know, when you're not watching for it necessarily. But the the pure level, uh, physical level that these guys have been at in these games, it's it's insane. There were portions of game two where the where Durant and LeBron were playing center for their respective teams. The 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 physical toll that it takes to play at that, and like I know people scoff at this because. You know, we've, we're, we're, we expect guys to play these 40-minute loads, and especially LeBron. Like, you expect him, you know, he's, he's this superhuman, and you don't think of him that way. But the guy's he's totally wearing down. On the, set. The, the lift, I think the stats were he had, I think in the first half of Game 2, he had like eight drives to the basket or something like that, scored, you know, 10 or 12 points on them or something like that. Second half, zero. Zero drives to the basket in the entire second half. Shot a bunch of threes. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty clear sign he's just the legs just aren't there by the end of these games he's being asked to do too much well cbs sports had an interesting thing online last night saying 
in order for the Cavs to win, LeBron just has to score more. And I'm like, I don't know how much more he can do. They said, uh, let's see, what did he take? In game one, he took 20 shots in 40 minutes, and in game two, 18 shots in 39 minutes. How how much more can this man do? Yeah, I mean, he's you could – you could hope to see that same level in the second halves that we've seen in the first halves. Like I say, I don't think that's really realistic just based on, you know, the human body and pure physics and things like that. Um, and the war, the, the problem with the Warriors, as always, with these Warriors, is they are, they'll adjust to that. If it becomes clear at a certain point that James is just trying to take these games over, uh, I do think he needs to get in the post more is one thing. But uh, they'll, they'll start to, they can adjust to that. They'll, they know that certain guys, you know, JR, as we mentioned, Kyrie, as we mentioned, Shumpert, who I think is going to be on the floor more now that the Cavs need him more. For They kind of discovered something in game, well, to whatever degree in game two that he was a little bit better. Uh, they'll, start, they'll start overloading to LeBron if he starts doing that. And even he, somebody as powerful as him, with, first of all, an already elite defender on him in a Durant or Iguodala, whoever's guarding him, second guy's coming over to help. I think they're going to make him beat them elsewhere. And really, the other Cavs haven't shown their ability to do that just yet. And it's interesting that you mentioned LeBron playing more at the post. He did that in game two, playing more at the high post. They switched it up. Then in game one, they were doing more pick and rolls. Do you think, which position do you think benefits the Cavs more offensively? Well, I think they may have stationed him there a few times in game two, but they didn't really, like, that wasn't their their central action that they were running. I think he only had one finished post up in the game, or maybe even zero by, like, the synergy stats, which are, those are, you know, kind of noisy sometimes. He... I think they need to make that not just because it's the their best chance at scoring, but because of the stylistic impact that it's going to have on the game. I think the Cavs, uh, and this is something I'm going to be maybe writing about later this week, I think Ty Lue has made a, a really curious decision that I don't agree with and a lot of other people don't agree with in trying to match the Warriors' pace in this series. He's talked about it openly. He talked about it again today during their interviews. He he wants the Cavs to play fast, uh, and they have been. That's they've been the, the pace of this series I think an ESPN stats person tweeted it's the fastest. You know, you know the pace yeah. statistic, uh-huh. fastest two games. I think they're the fastest two playoff games of LeBron James's career. Uh, his entire and he's played a lot of playoff yeah. games in his entire career. So the Cavs are clearly pushing the pace. I think that's a terrible idea. I think they're playing right into the hands. There is nobody who does that better than the Warriors. You cannot out Warriors the Warriors. Do you remember <laughs> Steph Curry saying the reason why he hates playing the Jazz is because they play too slow and he gets bored? Exactly, and that's and this is and. That is exactly how the Cavs won last yeah. year. They, they a lot of stuff went into it, but the biggest overall theme was that the Cavs played a style that the Warriors were not comfortable Patience. with. They were patient, and that the Warriors couldn't uh, kind of adjust to it in time. And I don't. I understand that the Warriors this year are not the same. They have Kevin Durant. It's not the same team. But I, I just don't understand how you could have seen that blueprint and how well it worked last year, and have gone away from it so completely this year, and are still continuing to insist that you're going to keep doing that, having been blown out twice the way they have. I I don't understand why they're not taking more time off the shot clock, putting LeBron in the post a bit more often, and spotting shooters around him to kind of, honestly, to I think that we, you normally don't think of that as freeing up the offense, right? Like, we think of freeing up the offense as playing a, wide, a spread pick and roll and, and dotting shooters and things like that. But against the Warriors, who have all that switching ability and are so good at bottling that stuff, I think putting one of the best post players in the league who's also one of the best passers, LeBron, and kind of just letting things be a little simpler that way. Not only will it slow things down, maybe let him get a little bit more rest on every possession, have a bit more legs at the end of the game, but I think it could be maybe a better chance at actually scoring. And when you miss, 
maybe not giving up as many transition points as you are because that's that's killing them. They're getting destroyed in transition because they're trying to speed it up so much. Who benefits their team or who is better off the ball? We both know that Kevin Durant and LeBron James can score, but who is more efficient without the ball in their hands? Uh, definitely Durant. Probably for the, I mean, that's one area you could probably look at for the majority of their careers where Durant's been more effective in that role specifically because he's a he's just a much better shooter. Durant's one of the you know one of the best shooters to ever play the game, and that's off the ball. That's not the only thing off the ball. And LeBron does great things. I mean, he's a great, he's a fantastic cutter when he's the role man in pick and roll. That's really really dangerous because of how good he is as a passer. He can obviously finish the dunk on the uh, on the lob. All those are very valuable. But a Durant does a lot of those things too. Maybe not quite as well as LeBron, but he does them, and he's and he's very good at a lot of them. And B, shooting is is just paramount when you're the guy away from the ball. When you can, because of the way it makes the defense react to you, a defender can play a little bit further off LeBron when he doesn't have the ball. With Durant, you just you just can't do that. And with the, especially with all those other guys on the Warriors, that's just hell for you. Why can't you do that with Durant? Because if you if you if you're you know. If Kyrie's got the ball on offense for the for the Cavs and LeBron is, you know, stationed in the far corner or on the on the weak side or whatever, his man can sag off into the lane, try and help Kyrie's man prevent him from getting into the lane. If the pass comes back out to LeBron, I know he's shot better from 3 recently, but you're conceding a 3 to LeBron. He's never been a consistent as especially as compared to the alternative him getting to the rim with options, but you don't want that. You'll take the 3. You've got time to get back out and to do whatever the best job is that you can do defending him if he tries to drive, which, you know, however good you can do, I guess, depends on who you are. But with Durant, you don't have that option. If, if you leave him that far away, the play's over as soon as the pass gets to him. He shoots. He's a very, very good three-point shooter. That's a bad shot for you to give up. Did you think it was a good idea for the Cavaliers to pick up Kyle Korver and Darren Williams? Yeah. Um, Why? I, I, think, I think, first of all, I don't think that Darren – will be happy with how he's played so far in this series. I'm wondering if he hasn't played good in 10 years. Ah, actually he was fantastic for the first three rounds of these playoffs. He was really important for them. Like to whatever degree they needed somebody who was important. like they were rolling anyway, but he did his job. Yeah, he did. And he's, uh, he's had some rough minutes so far as has like basically everybody on the Cavs, except for LeBron and sort of Kevin Love in this series. I do think they were good moves because you, you're never going to have a chance to score enough against these warriors. Unless you have some guys like that, that can space the floor. Uh, Williams is a really I, I like William the idea of Williams at least against the Warriors because he can excuse me he can um, he can switch he's taught he's big enough right that he can he's not like Kyrie where if Kyrie gets switched off onto somebody like I'm not saying Kevin you know uh, uh, Darren Williams switched onto Kevin Durant is good but it's better than if Kyrie Irving gets switched onto him you know what I mean see my concern is that Williams and Corver they can't move laterally which right. ineffectively makes them ineffective against a fast moving up and down team. In my mind, if I were building this team, I would have gone with some bruisers, and I just would have put these Golden State Warriors on their ass all day long. Technical fouls, I'd grubby it up because they're so- they're soft. They are a soft team. They're a finesse team. It's just, unfortunately there's only so much of that you can do in the modern NBA. After a certain point, the the way the games are officiated these days, and even even if you succeeded in a strategy like that, which is something teams have sort of some teams have sort of had, like Memphis is a team that had brief success against the Warriors doing that for a little bit, playing a very physical style with two big men dominating the class, that sort of thing. The problem that we always come back to, and this is a common adage on, you know, I'm sure you've seen it on NBA Twitter and whatnot, three's more than two. Yeah. And the problem is for all the damage you can do to them, on what, which you can, but I think people overstate how much you can do, especially because guys like Draymond Green 
Like they're the ones who stop you, who only who limit how much of that damage you can do to them physically. Draymond Green is a, a physical wonder. I don't think people realize it. Um, no, he's fantastic. Yeah. Not only that, but on the other end, the damage they can inflict to you, even if you succeed, which is very very hard to do, the damage that it just becomes easier for them on the other end to to stretch you out, space you out, and they've got three of the five best shooters that have ever lived on the earth, which makes I mean that's that's a lot right there. So that's unfortunately. I, you there are you could see a concept in your mind of a team being able to do that if they had the right personnel, but this Cavs team and even the Cavs team we saw at the deadline when they made those moves, it, they weren't equipped to to do that kind of a thing. I will say, really quickly, uh, that I do want to see more Tristan Thompson than we've seen with that theme in mind, with the idea of uh, he need they they need to be more of a physical presence with the players they do have in the series. Uh, I'd like to see more of I know that it's tough on defense you're you're going to get hurt but they're getting hurt no matter who they play on defense so I'd like to see more of Love and Thompson together and you've got to try and just win the you you know you're losing on defense anyway you've got to try and win the physical battle even when those guys are doing like the circles in front of their eyes and the three-point goggles like why can't you run up there and throw them on their ass or throw them into the first cuz you'll get ejected so what <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, I mean but, you need okay, bodies. so how many people? Yeah, right, if like, everybody on your team you know is going to do that, the you NHL have no has team. two goons on the bench. That's not even the NHL doesn't yeah. do that anymore. Yeah, it's boo. just like the NBA. Seriously, you can hardly touch someone anymore. There's too much money involved. It's right. just it's not going to be the same like the old days. But it's the NBA Finals. You can't throw everybody out, and you can't. Yes, techni- you can. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you could. That, that will go over well with ESPN. Yeah, you know, at some point, the referees in the league would break to a team if they got super physical all of a sudden. I could see in the first round and the second round where that would get, you know, where they can take control over a physical team and because they don't care about them going to the finals. But you're in the finals against Golden State Warriors. You have 100 million people watching around the world. You've got billions of dollars invested. And if these guys get thug on them, they can't shut the game down. I think you can control the NBA and the referee with your physicality if a team were brave enough to do it. Ah. There's just way – I just always go back to the money. Like, and now it's just – I don't want to call the NBA soft now. It's just a different way, you know, of playing. And no one is out to get hurt. No one is out to really hurt that other player because they don't want to get hurt. No, everyone's got – what do you call them? Everyone's got endorsements nowadays and all that. Nobody wants to get hurt. That's going to affect your brand. That's going to affect your money. So, well, I mean, guys didn't want to get hurt back in the day either. No, but I mean, okay, just Charles them, Oakley had no them, problem yeah, catching them, a black eye. They really didn't care. Like, yeah, Dennis nobody Rodman wanted had to get hurt. No problem but they were just the like, no, I'm going like, to do whatever it takes to win. Let me. Uh, let I'll me. be totally honest. I, re- I, I very strongly resist the implication that the NBA was a more demanding physical game at any previous time in history than any. Okay. It maybe there may have been periods, and that there definitely were periods of time in the NBA where certain dirty things were more acceptable. Like guys getting into actual fights was more common. Yeah, and got like you know uh, Isaiah Thomas going in the air and getting elbowed by by Carl Malone was more that kind of thing. Those everyone, but those those are we don't seem to we, we romanticize the past. We don't seem to realize when you watch a YouTube clip highlighting all those things, those are highlights that happened over like fifteen years. Those that, that wasn't happening every game. That like well, that wasn't just like a normal thing. And then if you look at the stuff that was happening every game and that continues to happen every game, like the the basic plays, if you look at contact that's currently allowed at the rim, like I'm talking legal contact that's allowed at the rim, if you look at just the raw, go back and like the next time you have a minute, 
Go watch a game on YouTube from like 1990 and watch the defensive players in particular and watch how hard they're trying. They're not trying very hard, even in the playoffs. Like, go watch. I've, I've done it recently. The game today is so much more physically demanding than it was even 20, 25 years ago. And I, people don't give it enough credit just because guys aren't like, because now the league has legislated out like, punching a guy in the face while he's going up for a drive. You can't do that anymore. You guys like need to see, we need to see that sometimes. Sorry. Right. No. And see, I, I don't just, dis- I don't necessarily disagree with you. And we do see it every once in a while. The penalties are more harsh because the league knows that they can't like, they can't risk guys getting hurt in that yeah. way. But I strongly resist the urge in any way that the game is softer now than it used to be because these athletes we're watching are in so much better shape, so much more well put together than the guys 25 years ago were. You tell that to the veterans. <laughs> and that's nobody. Nobody. Like, uh-uh. Nobody ever wants to believe that about back in their day. But unfortunately, that's just like a reality of all sports. And like that's why I'm a huge. I like hockey as well. I'm a big Wayne Gretzky fan, not only because of how awesome he was, but because in his book he said that. And he said, if I ever try and say something else later in my life, slap me and remind me of this pair or something like that. Where he said, it's just how it works. Yeah. Things evolve. People get better. People, like the sport, he said, in 20 years from now when I'm writing this book, the game will be better than it is right now when I'm here, period. And that's I, – I always really respected him for that because nobody – none of the old greats ever do that. Everybody always thinks it was the greatest in their time. That's it's not how – That's how every, pretty much everyone is. I know. Every, and it's – I really – it's not how humanity works. Like it's <laughs> – we have a lot of proof that over time we get – well, hopefully over time we get better at stuff. I hope I get better. Me too. I kind of suck at everything <laughs> right now. In changing gears here. If LeBron James loses in five or four games, he's probably going to leave Cleveland, correct? No. no. You don't think so? No. I'm not saying I could never see a situation where he leaves, like maybe at the, like the real tail end of his career where he's not a superstar anymore type of thing. You could, if he has the right, like if he could meet up with Carmelo or Chris Paul or something like that and play somewhere, he'd probably do it. Right now, for the most part, I think LeBron has accomplished, I know he wants to accomplish more, of course, uh, he wants to win more championships, but he's, I think LeBron's legacy in the way that he wanted to, and this is all me speculating, I guess I don't know for sure, but I, I think his legacy is where he wants it now. Well, how do you build the Cleveland Cavaliers to a Golden State Warriors type team? Because they, they are at the end, of, they're over their cap right now. So if you bring a Jimmy Butler, and I mean, you're going to pay $100 million well, on top can't. of his salary. Well, they can't even do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, how, but here's my my. Answer to yeah. your question would be another question. How do you build any other team that's going to be better than the Warriors? You can't even. I can't even think. I can think of a couple of teams in the league where if you just randomly dropped LeBron onto that team, like they Boston, would be better than yeah. the Warriors. But those teams don't. And, and for, LeBron James is not going to play in Boston. I can tell you that. They, they, none of those teams are, are realistic destinations for him. Those teams have to fit him in at a, a massive cap number that he's. I I don't see that as particularly plausible because. Like leaving Cleveland in the first place was a you know it was a legacy play right like he had to he had to consider his legacy and things like that and he wanted point, to win right and at this point again like I said he wants more but I think he's I think he recognizes that if his career ended without another championship as long as he you know retains his elite level and things like that he'll he he's one of the five best to ever do it and a lot of people this me included have him in the in the conversation with Jordan as the you know most impactful players to ever play. Does Kevin Durant pass on signing a max deal for his contract in order to keep his team intact? Yeah, we were hearing that the other day, and I was surprised just because that's something that Durant had an opportunity to do once or twice in OKC, 
and didn't do so. And I'm not trying to get into that whole thing of, you know, whether he was a turncoat or whatever. But, like, we can it, get into that because nah. we are. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but, no, you're fine. Uh, Honestly, I'm, that's, uh, I don't have any insider info on it or anything like that, and I can't recall who reported it uh, that he might do so. ESPN. Yeah, was, I knew it was somebody from ESPN. But uh, I guess based on everything we've heard from him this year, that's the face he's putting out, right? Like that's the – he's putting out the I love it here. I want to I do what I can to make it work. Like he was asked by – I think it was Mark Spears of ESPN basically came out and asked him, are you going to resign here next year? And he was pretty much just like, yeah. Like I'm gonna, he didn't, I don't know if he actually said yes, but like he all but said yes yeah. in his answer. So maybe I think that's you know if that's the difference between if him taking a couple million less is the difference between being able to keep Iguodala and not. Maybe I guess I could see it. I, God, I don't even want to see if what you go the rest and listen league... to his Bill Simmons conversations. He did two podcasts with him. He's like, yeah. I don't care about the money. I have plenty of money. Yeah. I mean, that Nike contract he has is oh yeah forever yeah. And I think he just wants to win. I think he wants to stack titles. My question is, does uh, Thompson want to be there? Yeah, you you heard that was it was. Uh, did you see that CJ McCollum tweet? No. Yeah, yeah. CJ McCollum like sent it something about like Clay's about to get another ring and then go find himself his own team. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I love CJ on Twitter. He's Where fantastic. would he go? I don't know. I haven't even like stopped to you think. You do know, aren't you guys friends? New York. Man. You know all these guys. You have like insider info. God, not on the Warriors, uh, <laughs> but uh, like. Th- I guess you could like. I am not inside any of these guys' heads, so I don't. I don't know what they choose. You could see, hypothetically, a guy like Clay Thompson who is absolutely skilled enough to be the first or second best player on a team somewhere in the league. You could see him saying, after a while, especially maybe if they get the title this year, maybe they get the title next year. Him saying, almost have been there, done that type of thing. Like certain guys, not everyone has the same goal. Not everyone wants to, as you said, stack titles. Like, guys want to win as many as they can, but guys have their pride. Guys have, you know, they want to yeah. be recognized for what they are. Like, I guess I could see it with Clay. I mean, he's, I'd have to, he's still got, what, at least a couple of years left on his deal, right? So it's a while before he could make that kind of a decision for himself. I'm looking right now to see what his, uh, yeah, he's got two more years after this year. So it would be a minute before he could, like, actually make that decision for himself. But, and he could always say to them, like, I would like if you would, you know, try and find me a, a trade partner. Uh, I don't see any. Unfortunately, I see all those scenarios as like less than 50, except for maybe Durant taking less than the max, which I could totally see happening. And as I was saying to you, I, I do not want to see the league's response, like the, the Twitter response, if and when that happens, just because people are already mad enough about this team. And if they like do something that people will view as quote unquote skirting the rules again to keep it together, like I, I don't want to. I'm not interested in reading those hot takes in response. <laughs> Before we go even further to Kevin Durant, I just want to say, if I was Clay, I would stay there because it's like a group project. You know that person that never puts in any work, but it's a group <laughs> project, and you guys all get an A? <laughs> like, just stay there and chill. Like, let everybody else do the hard work. You throw up a couple threes, do your thing. Clay does do some stuff. It's, I think, may, maybe the time for if it was me where I would start, because, like, mid-next year sometime, we're definitely going to start seeing the think pieces like would they even be bad if they didn't have clay like yeah. he's uh, one of the top two defenders in the league i mean he's phenomenal he's a lockdown defender i don't agree with the first part he's a great defender i don't think he's one of the best defenders oh yeah he's a fantastic defender he's the, the guy is a really good player that's yeah. the thing but he's unquestionably the fourth best player on yeah. that team you uh, have too many superstars yeah I guess I could see it. I don't really. I don't know his personality. He always he gets described a lot as you know a really laid back guy. 
that sort of thing. So I don't know how much his uh, I don't know how much he would he would want to kind of have his own thing or have his maybe try and challenge them. Different guys are wired different ways, you know. Yeah. Having your own thing is overrated. Just sit back and chill. Get the A. Get your money and keep going. What do you think about Kevin Durant and his decision? I think, first of all, that it is completely Kevin Durant's right, which he earned over seven years in the NBA, which is when you get the right to unrestricted free agency. Um, as He was one of the best players in the league. He gave a lot to Oklahoma City. I don't think anyone can, can criticize what he did there. And in that sense, I don't think anyone can criticize the fact that he chose to leave and move somewhere else. I think it's fair, though, to think all of what I just said and to also think that it's that the decision he made was disappointing in some ways. Not for him. He can do whatever he wants. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm disappointed in Kevin Durant. That's ridiculous. Kevin Durant doesn't care what I think of him. But <laughs> You didn't see his tweet? He said he did. Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks. <laughs> um, but disappointing is, like we were saying before, I'm a basketball fan. We're all basketball fans, right? And in in if the people talking about this is the same thing that LeBron did and blah, blah, stop. Stop it, please. This is not the same thing. It's not the same thing at all. You walked into a new role, to a role that was already carved out for your your skill set, perfect for your skill set. Those Heat, like those, were three very good players that they put together on those Heat. But LeBron and D Wade at the time did basically the exact same things in their game, and they both needed the ball a ton to do it. They had to work some stuff out. Like they had, there were some major kinks to go through. The fit was not perfect. There were three of them, not four of the best 30 players in the league, all on the same team. And the supporting cast was nowhere like what the Warriors have got currently. The The combination of factors that went into Durant being able to do this, I do think, in all honesty, that yeah, it's a tad unfortunate because I do think that this team is just way better than anybody else. And that if nothing happens, things happen, things could happen. But if nothing crazy happens, we are going to have a couple of relatively anticlimactic seasons and that... I think it's fair for if fans want to be disappointed by that. I think it's fair. See, I'm on the fence about it. Just everything you said, I agree with. It is his right to do whatever he wants. It's his life. Who are we to tell Kevin Durant you can't do something? But at the same time, it's kind of like, dude, you just that is disappointing for a fan. Like you just went to a team that's already stacked because it's like easier. Oh, I want to get a ring. But then his mom was on first take the other day, and she says something that it's so simple, but it just made me go, okay. I like Kevin Durant again. She was just like, how do you fault somebody? We all do it. You want to be better in life, so you take that other job and you surround yourself with other people, you know, that are going to better yourself. She even used Stephen A. Smith as an example because he's always so harsh on Kevin Durant. She was just like, he did the same thing. He up and went to ESPN and bettered himself, surrounded himself by winners. And, you know, that's that's what you're supposed to do in life. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's certainly a way to look at it, and it's it, you know there's so much gray in the NBA because the you know how many other occupations in the world are like the NBA where you know like Stephen A. Smith like, that's I get the comparison, but that's like a that's yeah. a very different situation. Yeah, like in the you know anyone in media sports media aspires to get to ESPN because they're the biggest one and they're the one that they're most prestigious and everything like that. It's kind of different from sports where those <laughs> things like fluctuate over time and things like that. So it's very nebulous. It's very gray. It's very like. Where's the line? Where's the line of what it's acceptable for a player to do to better his career versus like, holy crap, you're basically cheating. Like, and you're not cheating, but you're you know taking yeah. the easy way out or whatever people want to say about about Duran at this point. Where's that line? Is there a line? So I guarantee certain you know logic arguers would argue that there should be no such line. There should be if it's okay for 
I'm just trying to think of a random example of a player who went to a moderately better situation recently of their own choice. Just plug a player in. I'm not. I can't think of one immediately. Off Carmelo the Anthony. Yeah. Or well, no, but he got well, traded. I'm yeah. thinking of a player who chose in free agency to leave and go somewhere else. Like just anybody you can think of. There's. It Dwight happens Howard. every year. Yeah. Whatever. It happens every year. Is if that's a, I, I know plenty of people who would say if that's okay for them to do that and it's legal and it's no, and there's no rules broken or no you know tampering or or any of that. Fine. Then the same should apply to Kevin Durant. He didn't break any rules. He didn't. He went to a situation that made his chances of winning better. And then there are the people who would want to delve into the context, and the context being like you know when you're on the playground and you're playing a, a five-on-five basketball game, and there's five sixth graders and five fourth graders. The five sixth graders don't just all combine and get on the same unless they're jerks, which I guess maybe. Wait, I was I was <laughs> with you until you said that. I'm like, yeah, you stack your team, right? I guess so. But like the idea that some people would view doing that as an adult to be you know wrong or or whatever. And I like I said, I think I hate to ride the middle so much, but I think both sides have I think both sides have good points. If it, I will say this: if it was me, and this is going to sound bad because I think a lot of other people have said it like this. I'm not a pro athlete, and whatever. I'm not. I can't put myself in that spot. But that wouldn't have been like my inclination wouldn't be to do that. My inclination would have been to to try and find the best way to challenge that team, especially after coming so close to beating them. And I think a lot of other people feel that same way about themselves, whether they're lying to themselves or not. Maybe I'm lying to myself. Maybe I'm, maybe if I was in that situation, I would just be like, wait, I could go live in the Bay and like, and do, and have the team that they've got and do, all right, I'm just going to go do that. And you don't even have to do that much work because you have other superstars on the team. Right. So, you know, I, I can't judge a person for wanting to be happy. I can say that I, in some ways it's disappointing and that I think people are justified in being slightly disappointed about the way that it happened and that, the, you know that it could the next few years could be less entertaining than we had hoped for because of it. What do you think general managers from Miami, Chicago, Milwaukee, Utah, even New Orleans, do you think that they really go after free agency and trading and building teams because in my eye there's no competing with the Warriors for the next 3 years, so why spend the money? Um well first of all, yes, my answer is yes to your question. Yes, they will try and do those things. I'm not saying it might, there might be a franchise or two who is, and this is, you hear this talk around the league, you definitely do, of teams talking about, you know, maybe trying to wait out the the Warriors or make their plans to kind of plan around that or for after that. And that's, that could be a part of maybe a team or two's considerations when they're thinking about whether to, you know, make a win now move versus making a blow it up type move for the future, that, those sorts of things. But in general, and there's another point I like to bang on a lot and make a lot, is there's more in the NBA than winning titles. There's, there is, there are more ways to be successful in the NBA than is there? Champion. Oh, absolutely. Because it seems like all we do is say, I know. Oh, you have six rings, you have seven rings, you know. And I hate it. And in fact, do I have it open on my computer right now? No, I had it open a second ago though. An article that was based, or oh no, it was a tweet. That's what it was, and it was a really good tweet, uh, basically saying that the uh, our obsession with rings is what made this Warriors team happen in the first place, because. So- if we weren't so singularly obsessed with a ring being the only indicator of a player's success in the NBA, which I think is ridiculous, then maybe Kevin Durant wouldn't have felt such an obsession with needing to to get that validation. And I'm not saying that's the, necessarily the reason why he did it, but if that's one of the reasons why he did it, that I think that's a, a huge thing. Look at, for instance, the Memphis Grizzlies of the last five to seven years, the grit and grind Memphis mm-hmm. Grizzlies. How could we look at that team and say they haven't been a success? They make the playoffs every year. They made a conference final. 
They're unbelievably fun to watch. Marcus is awesome. Like Zach Randolph is awesome. Tony Allen is awesome. Like the they're really they're a great team in a lot of ways. And they've made one conference finals and never even sniffed the finals, never even came close. They've never had a realistic shot to win the championship, I don't think, in any one of those years. But I look back at them and I think given their market size and the stuff they had to work with when that run started, et cetera, et cetera, I absolutely look at them as a success. I think that kind of – it's not necessarily what you strive for first and foremost, but there are ways to have success within a league besides that. And then, But in the NFL, in Major League Baseball, with parity – any team outside of the Browns can potentially win a Super Bowl in any given year. I like the outside, of, I like outside <laughs> the of the Chargers Browns. Chargers can't win either. In the NBA, that's not the case. I mean, there's, what, seven teams that have won in 20 years, yeah. if that many? Yeah. Now, to be fair, that's how it's always been in the sure. NBA, and that's, that comes with the territory. Now, again, I'm gonna, people try and end the argument there, and that's dumb because mm. this is not the same. This is not— there, I don't think there's ever been. I think we're going to realize after these finals that there's never been another, maybe never been another team that was this much better than any of the other teams in the league. And that that can happen while one of the five best ever is still in the league and still like kind of close to his prime in LeBron is worrisome, right? Like yeah. that should, you know. I I think that, apologies, I lost my, my exact train of thought on where I was going there. But basically, the other thing that I was going to get to is even within the championships or bust mentality that, you know, certain teams have. And in, in the end, you want to try and win a championship, of course, is that, it, as I said before, things do happen. When those when those Heat first got together, you remember the, the, the not two, not three, not four, whatever. That was always <laughs> ridiculous when it was said, of course. And as I just mentioned, there are different setups as far as like the, the super team that was built. But I think there were people at the time who really thought – what is the rest of the league going to do for the next four or five years? Because who on earth could possibly challenge three, you know, a, a collection of talent this great? And then a team who had been almost in that exact same kind of middle position with Dallas, where where every year they're in the playoffs, every year they're good. They made a couple conference finals. They even made the finals in 06 and had that kind of embarrassing loss to Miami. Always there, but only a few of those times where they considered like an actual real title contender, maybe even one or two. And the year they won, I don't even think people considered them a major title contender that year, but things just broke right. The right stuff happened. LeBron went into a mental shell of weirdness in the finals. Like, things happened the right way, and a team that had constantly set itself up to be in position in case something happened, this is something I think Zach Lowe on ESPN talks about a lot, all of a sudden they were in that position and it happened. And you never know when that might happen. And when they all, especially for like, for the Jazz, for instance, you think of like, do they consider maybe stretching out the rebuild period or something like that and, and trying to come in a couple years later? How how can you do that to your – I mean, it might happen to them accidentally if Gordon Hayward leaves, right? But, like, by choice, how could you do that to these guys? How could you look at a Gordon Hayward or a, a Rudy Gobert or somebody like that and say, thanks for taking those those two or three years of kind of crappy basketball and we, you know, we were building and we were showing you this vision of the future? Uh, just wait a couple more real quick. These guys are really good. Like, the, ah – how can you do that, you know? Or you tell them we're gonna we're gonna do our best to be in position to capitalize if some if, if these guys falter. Would that just jade agents around the oh, league? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, like I say, there's there might be situations where subtly you can make a, a decision that moves a franchise in a certain direct. Where if you have a choice between at the trade deadline next year, for instance, you're a team that's that's right on the bubble of making the playoffs or not. Maybe you look to be, be to be sellers. So that you can sell off a couple of your bet, you know you're not going to have a realistic chance of, of winning anything. You sell off a couple of your best guys, get some draft picks, and and look a little bit more towards the future. Maybe that kind of a move is one that's influenced by like, hey, what's the rush right now? 
But teams that are that have already built themselves to be in that position, the Celtics, uh, for instance, who have you know they've they've collected all these assets to to get to this point and to, to get here. The Jazz are a good one. Uh, the Spurs are obviously kind of always in that mode. They're they they're they need to be there in case something happens. And I realize that something in this case happening to the Warriors is a much more significant something than we would usually have to have happen. But you still have to be ready in case it does happen. Yeah, you got to start thinking Achilles tears and stuff like that. Well, and there's a, the other thing that you know, lords over all this, and it's probably the most important, is that there's a lot of money at stake either way. Like, there's a lot of money, it, you know, changing hands and whatnot, whether or not the finals are being played. So there's a lot of motivation in those areas for teams to continue to be successful because, like, you know, I'll use Utah as the example again. There's a lot more money around here when the team wins than when they don't, you know. Even whether or not it's winning championships, there's a lot. Before we go full in jazz and wrap up the show, any chance Steph Curry leaves? I I would say at this point, I I did think about that during this season. Like as the season was going on, I was thinking like, what if, what if things went bad again in the playoffs? And like, what you know, either they blew it to the Cavs or somebody got hurt and they, excuse me, and they didn't even make the finals or something like that. Would he like? And you heard the tiniest little whispers last year about he really does like Charlotte because he's you know family from there and all that is home. Um. So I gave it like token consideration, but it's given what we're almost certain is going to happen here in a few days with them taking home that, you know, second championship in three. I, I would have a very high, he's, I mean, he's a legend. He's already the most, the by far the most popular player in the history of that franchise. Like he's, he's a God there. Once he retires, he'll, he gets to be in whatever front office position he wants. If he wants, just like Gordon Hayward in Utah, by the way, uh, <laughs> which is something David Locke has talked about a lot. Um, He, I don't, I don't see it. And they can and they can pay him more money. They can give him more money. Not that that's like the first thought in his mind, but I don't. That's way too cushy of a situation. Plus, he's not in a Durant like situation where there will be any kind of judgments whatsoever for staying there. That's his team. They drafted him. He's, it's been his team for for five years. Him staying there, okay, Steph stayed. There's, he's not going to take any criticism. He's not going to you know none of that. I in fact, he'd take way more if he left. So I yeah, I don't sound. I couldn't see. That. No, they've certainly built it with Cal Berkeley going to Under Armour and. There's there's definitely a lot of padding around him. It'll be interesting to see if that team can be dominant going forward because I'd like to see it. I think um, I think when you have that big bully on the block, I think it makes everyone work harder underneath them. Yeah, and so. you know what? That's a really good point. Hopefully, that's like the silver lining we take away from this as a league is like, and I guess there's only so much of that you can do, right? Because there's mm-hmm. only so much better guys can get. But unfortunately, the bar's been raised now for the rest of the league, and they got to try. Oh, now what you worry about is teams trying to match that bar. In the wrong ways, like that the only thing that becomes important anymore is for guys to form more super teams and mm. do the exact same thing. You hope maybe it goes the other way, but that's that's a different But the Jazz aren't role. far off from having a real super team. They are a talented, talented team. A uh, super team? You've got Gobert, who's phenomenal. He's only going to get better, assuming his dumb knees stay healthy. Hayward is approaching becoming a top 10 player. George Hill is a top seven point guard. He's right on that threshold. And I think, it, you know, if they brought in one more piece, you have no idea how good they could be. When I think super team, my I just go to Warriors. Yeah, you think and billboards, yeah. yeah I, I'm, no, I'm thinking Warriors right now. And to me, Jazz well, the Clippers are, are a super team. Clippers need to get their crap together. So you have um, a, you have a wider definition of yeah. super team than some people, which is fine. It's a nebulous term, right? Like it's not. It, a, yeah, there's it's no definition completely term. arbitrary. Yeah. So like, yeah, in, in that from that wide of a so you're, I mean, effectively in that by that metric, most of the true title contenders in the league 
in a given year. Gobert's going to be an international sensation. Hayward's on the verge of competing for an MVP title. George Hill's phenomenal. He just had a, he either had a tear in his toe or he had a severe sprain toe, which you can't play effectively. He's a phenomenal player. He is, but I think they're they're on their way to being a great team. I I wouldn't say super team, Mm -hmm. but. That's just my yeah. opinion, but that's tomato tomato yeah. type thing. No, yeah. but if you bring in, it doesn't matter if you bring another B plus A minus player. They're right there, and they have the cap room to possibly do that. Yeah, maybe not. That, not if not if they resign Hayward and Hill. Not even close. Like they're they're tapped to the tap if, if they do that. Tap now to the tap. You could. <laughs> yeah, you but could. there's trade possibilities with favors and. There are there's, there's contracts like DL where a lot of teams would love to have that ten or twelve million coming off their books. But that's not going to free up enough money to get you a superstar to come in. It's and make twenty million dollars right there. There's twenty two million dollars right there. Well, moving moving DL is something they may explore before his guarantee date, which is July fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Um, where because he's as you mentioned, he's non guaranteed, which would mean that he could a team could use him as a way of opening up more space for themselves, which could also open up space for the Jazz and get them a little mini asset in in return for it. Depending how things go with favors, maybe a, like a Danilo Gallinari, if he'd take a discount, like a real discount, I it's hard to see them bringing in another impact-level player just because of the way the cap machinations work. And be, they the Jazz still have a ton of belief in guys on their roster to be that guy, Rodney Hood in particular. Um not going to Dan- happen. But Dante, yeah. Dante Exum as well, who I will be on record. I think he's going to jump next year. I've said it before. No, I'm not saying jump to be like elite right away, but I think he's going to jump. Uh, we'll see how far next year. I don't I don't know if I view Hayward. I think Hayward is fantastic, and I agree that especially in the second half of this season, he approached the status of a top 10 player in the league. I don't know if we've I, – I do think – We've basically seen about as good as he can be. Like, I think this year is about, I don't think he can get much better. And that's not an insult. He was fantastic this year. He was an all-star. Gobert, I would I would agree there are things Gobert may get better at. Um, I think his overall impact, we're seeing pretty much what it is at this point. But, and so with that in mind, and the fact, as far as Hill, A, there's no, no guarantee he's coming back whatsoever. Uh, in fact, at this point, I'd probably call it about 50-50 on, on George. And, you got to remember that he's 31 and that, you know, the injuries probably played a pretty big role in this. In fact, I know they did, but George also had, he was just, he was completely on fire for that November and December. He carried the team during that period when Hayward was out. Uh, once he got back after the all-star break from one of those injuries in the middle there from February on to the rest of the season, if you look at his impact, it was kind of limited. And I hate, like, I hate to say it because, and you know that the, the injuries may have played it pretty On your lead foot. Yeah. Yeah. But he's also 31, and had he missed what f- almost 40 games this year, despite no like none of them was because of a tear or because of like a, a single significant injury. They were all different little like knickknacks, and the toe was the most significant, obviously. Um, but there wasn't there the groin earlier in the year at one point, and they, he was the one where he got hit in the face and missed a few, and that's just bad luck. But like when guys get up into their 30s, you don't generally tend to see their injury luck improve. Mm. It tends to go the other way. And even if they stay healthy, they just tend to get worse as players. So factor that in with the fact that he also probably had close to a career year this year. At least the first part of the year was close to a career year. And the money you're going to have to give him. over The the max deal, right? Is that what they're saying? That was what was speculated at this point. I would be surprised. I'd I'd be surprised if George – well, at least from the Jazz. I'd be surprised if if the Jazz paid George a max unless it was – 
I apologies, cat people, if I got this wrong. If you're even allowed to do a maxo for two years, I'm not even. And George doesn't want to take a contract for two years, though. So I can I can't really see that happening. Um, he's but it's a consideration you got to make if you're giving George Hill a, a big four year deal. Four and twenty. Yeah. He's gonna be he's gonna be thirty five by the end of that deal. Like that's a that's not young. And he's never I mean he's he's never based his game around athleticism, but he's also never been the most athletic guy either relative to his peers. So if it leaves him physically, he could you know, that could be a pretty bad contract in the last couple of years and they have to think about that. Before we get out of here, I want to talk to you about an article that you wrote that you recently wrote about a NBA back to backs, back to back games and what that has to do with uh arena play, like the arena schedules. What does all that have to do with each other? Yeah, so I wrote this article on Basketball Insiders. It was April 6th for anyone who's who happens to be interested in reading it. It's called The NBA's Subtle Vital Scheduling Factor. And the reason why we decided to talk about it here was because Adam Silver in his pre-finals press conference kind of mentioned this this realm, this area. Uh, he was asked about what the league is doing among among various other activities to try and and solve this rest issue, right? We know we've seen the the number of DNP rests has just absolutely skyrocketed across the league over the last couple of years. LeBron, LeBron, well, lots of guys, not just the, hey, it was yeah. Pop, it was Pop way before it was ever <laughs> LeBron. Uh, you remember when Pop got fined two hundred fifty thousand yeah, yeah. for uh, for doing something that coaches are doing like yep. every weekend now? Yep. Like that was crazy, and that was like four years ago. It wasn't very long ago. The so the league has seen this obviously, and they're the public things that we've heard about as far as them trying to to address the situation are all good things. Uh, uh they're going to extend the season by a week, which that's good. They're going to cut some of the preseason. That's definitely going to help. The league expects next year for the number for four and fives to be basically eliminated for teams where they're playing four games and five nights. The the statistics have basically shown that unless you're the Warriors. Those games are like almost impossible to win. Like I think ESPN went and identified certain like red, you know, really bad uh, code red schedule days this year where a team was playing like a four and five against a rested team on the road or something like that. And I think they identified them as these are like these are all going to be losses. And I think they were they basically all were maybe minus one or two or something like that. And all the the fixes that the league has suggested are good, but the one that they need to get into is and that I kind of wrote my article about was arena scheduling. Because when you think about it, the NBA schedule, the NBA season actually lasts 170 days. It's going to be 180 next year when they add, or close to 180 when they add another week to it next season. And when you think about trying to fit 82 games per team in there, you would think that you don't need, this year I think it was about 16 back-to-backs per team they played. Why do you need that many? If you've got 170 days to fit in 82 games, you would think you wouldn't need to have that many back-to-backs and four and fives. The reason you do is because of arena scheduling. Justin these, Bieber. Right. Yeah. Ariana Grande. Uh, Ariana Grande, I was just going to say. Like, these these arenas are not just basketball arenas. And if they were, no NBA team would make a profit. So that would be ridiculous. Like, these, the, the arenas have to be used for other things. The way the system works, basically, is teams submit each year. They This is in, uh, I believe it's in, like, late February, early March. Teams, they submit a, day, a list of dates to the league. And the dates are split into three kind of groupings. Um, available dates, so those are dates when your arena is open for a game. Blackout dates, dates when it's not open for a game. And pending dates. Pending dates are mostly for teams that also have an NHL team in that same arena. So the Jazz. Staples Center. Yeah, like Staples. Well, Staples is the toughest of all because they have two yeah. NBA teams plus hockey. Um, they're the toughest by far. And they make it tough for the rest of the league, by the way. That's something that I kind of – the. The lowest common denominators, the arenas that have the fewest open dates, they're the ones that make it hard for everybody else because they have the least flexibility, right? 
So basically, teams submit these dates to the league. The league, uh, once those submissions are made, those open dates are locked. Like the dates that you list as your arena is open, they're locked in. You have to leave them open for NBA games. And if you want to mess with that, you have to talk directly to the NBA schedule makers and you have to like trade off with them and trade another blacked out date that you gave them if you want to change that. Basically, what that ends up doing per source is that leaves the NBA with an average of between 60 and 70 open dates per team. It's up to 100 for smaller markets that don't have an NHL team. But then, like we said, for places like Staples or others where they do have an NHL team or they're in a huge market, it's as few as about 50, about 50 open dates. And when you think about it, 50 open dates to fit in 41 games is really, really hard. Uh, when trying to factor in all the other scheduling caveats that come into the NBA, you don't want to, a team can't play three games, three nights in a row. You would really like them to not play four nights in five, although it has to happen every once in a while. And the ramifications people have to, you have to think about it. If you move one team back one night, that could have 10 ramifications elsewhere as far as the way that it reschedules other teams, which that it makes this all very, very difficult. The league is using a proprietary algorithm that's involved in this. It's very high level stuff. And, in particular, uh, Mark Cuban, uh, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, I spoke to him for this story. And Mark, uh, as the kind of the more, one of the more uh, good of the league thinking owners, which I really admire him for, he's really he's really thinking about those kind of things. Often, his opinion is that the league needs to have more control. He thinks the league needs to be able to tell teams you have to submit more open dates to us. He thinks he's basically saying that in the past. There used to be lots of your Ariana Grandes and your whoever's. Those generated way more money than an NBA game. And an NBA arena had to have those. Otherwise, they couldn't turn a profit. It was impossible. These days, though, Cuban says to me, these events, they're fewer and further apart. Even uh, maybe Ariana or one of the huge people makes them, the, you know, Vivint, for instance, makes them more money. But in general, uh, one other front office person who I spoke to said that that's, that's about 50-50 at best. Like, about half the non-NBA events make similar money to an NBA game, and the other half don't even really come close. With that in mind, Cuban thinks that the league needs to strike a harder angle on those available ga- those available dates, basically. Now, the reason why that's difficult is because the, the 30 owners comprise the league's board of governors. And, if the, and the league could. The league holds the sole power to make those rules if they want. But if the owners decide they don't like it, they can call a meeting of the board of governors. They can vote, and they can overturn it. And so they can if, get a new commissioner anytime they want. Yeah. Uh, so if the league were to say, for instance, if the league were to go really hardcore, this would obviously never happen, but just as a hypothetical, if the league was to go super hardcore and say, this is an NBA arena, you have to leave all 170 days open to us so we can make our schedule, and then after that, you can fill in your other dates if you want to. That wouldn't, that's ridiculous for scheduling purposes that the, you know, that the teams are aware of. They would never do that, but in that situation, the owners would obviously get pissed, the Board of Governors would meet, they would vote unanimously to vote that rule down, and the league would be screwed. Have they ever thought about flipping the NBA season to, let's say, starting in February? No. No? No. Because it seems like there's a lot of forced competition between the NFL, college football playoffs, March Madness, the Super Bowl, as where the summertime... There's no competition. But as far as arena availability, yeah. actually, it doesn't change It's probably change worse, that huh? Much. Yeah. yeah, and in, in some places it would be worse. Um, basically, though, my thought and what I kind of finished the article with was that we're in a state right now with the NBA owners and the NBA Players Association where we've, we're, in a good, we're in a very good place. The collective bargaining agreement got done this last year without having to go into a lockout, which a lot of people were really worried. We were going to miss games again. We were going to have a big problem starting next year. Instead, they got it finalized. They got it handled. It was great. Uh, 
and that showed a lot of that showed a lot of you know collectiveness and that the the owners in the league are willing and the players are willing to work with each other to have a, to capitalize on all this money in this great league that they've got going right now with that in mind i would think that the the and adam silver's comments a couple days ago at his press conference would indicate the league thinks the same that there's there's an air of that cooperativeness in the air i just said there's an air of in the air. <laughs> but there's with that with that kind of mindset in mind I think the league is going to broach to the owners the idea of trying to trying to leave more dates open because, like I said, the, the league has suggested fixes before the you know taking a week off and these and those things are going to help. But if this area was to really open up, like we said that you know the minimum is is fifty, right? Like certain teams only give fifty. If the minimum all of a sudden became seventy, if every franchise in the league could leave seventy open dates rather than fifty. The ramifications would be people don't understand. They would be massive. I'm talking the league could go from an average of 16 back-to-backs per team to an average of maybe half that, if not less. They, uh, the occasional four and five, completely gone. They wouldn't even be a consideration. The, the potential options for the league to improve their scheduling without changing any of the stuff that really matters to them, like they don't want to go less than 82 games for money reasons and for historical reasons, things like that. None of that would have to be touched. You wouldn't have to change the playoff schedule, any of that stuff, if arena scheduling was to get a little bit more flexible. So I think that's something that, depending how things go and when they talk to the owners and things like that, we could see some real movement on that. And that could be that could end up being the biggest factor, bigger than all these other things we've talked about, that allows the league to keep 82 games and keep the product we've seen without you know having fans get mad because they bought tickets to see LeBron and now he's all of a sudden resting them. Have you talked to any of the players about this on record? I haven't. This was more of like a, uh, you know, a, a kind of a front office type thing, and I talked to the league a little bit uh, in it as well. I can say the with the front office people that I talked to about it, the including Steve Starks uh, of the Utah Jazz, who went on record uh, in my article to talk about how impressed he's been with the league. And I'll read the quote to you, actually. We've been impressed with the league's use of technology and commitment to transparency in the scheduling process, is what Steve told me. And... The league has incorporated a heavy, heavy emphasis on biotechnology, on the science behind rest, trying to factor in those things into scheduling. Like I said, they have a massive algorithm that kind of handles a lot of this stuff. That stuff's way above my head and way above all our heads, I'm sure, but it's, uh, it's really, really advanced. It's with a proprietary company. And that was the same thing that I generally heard as I asked around generally was that the league is trying really hard here. Like they know that this is a big deal. They've got – it used to – used to basically just be one guy that was pretty much in charge of league scheduling for, for several. And that was an exaggeration, but he was the was pretty much the end-all be-all over there. Now they've got a full team that's on it. It's much more kind of cooperative. They've got people from different areas that are involved with it, like from promotions and things like that, to make sure that the money side is represented in scheduling and Everyone things like that. Everyone gets what they want. Yeah, much more organic. And they're, they're, really, they're, they're trying really, really hard because that's how the league's been under Adam Silver. They've been very progressive. They've, been, they've really tried to be proactive about solving their problems. And I think they realize that something like this could have a much, much bigger effect than just, say, taking you know, seven days off the schedule. That might lose you a couple of back-to-backs here or there if you do it right. Doing this right, it could lose nearly all of them. And that's, I, I, that's pretty significant for the league. I'm hoping that they can find a, a kind of a good middle ground there. Where can people find a link to that article? So it's on Basketball Insiders. What you'll do is you'll go to basketballinsiders.com, nice and simple. On the, bot, well, on the right side, lower right side of the page you immediately see, you'll see select our writers, and there's a select a writer dropdown. Find my name, Ben Dowsett, it's D-O-W-S-E-T-T, and that'll take you to my archive. Uh, 
it's big because, the, like I said, this article was written a, a couple months ago. You'll have to scroll down just a tad. And like I said, it's titled The NBA's Subtle Vital Scheduling Factor. There's a nice picture of Commissioner Adam Silver uh, right on the front of it. And that's in, and his ears. And his ears, yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah. The man has got some ears, right? And yeah, he can probably hear us now. Probably, yeah. No, and he's and you can read any of my other stuff while you're on there. But that was uh, I enjoyed writing that article because it was it was something that we haven't really talked about much, and that you don't think about it much, do you? Like, had you before I raised it today, had you thought about that much when you th- when you think about the NBA scheduling? Well, here's what I've thought about because uh, I'm from San Diego, and then growing up in LA. Mm-hmm. And we did an interesting piece at my last station. And one year, I forget which year it was, and that's bad. Uh, when you had the Clippers, you had the Lakers in the playoffs at the same time. Right. And then the Kings. They, like the uh, LA Kings, the hockey oh, team. Oh, yeah. Yes. That they like were four in years the, ago or yeah. something, yeah. So it was like you, they, it was just so interesting to see what they had to do to the arena. So that's more or less what I, the part that I was thinking about, like, Holy man, like they have to really take up this floor in how many hours, put it back down for the Clippers, then put it down for the Lakers. Then they have to put in a hockey floor. Like I was just like, this is nuts. Plus you have concerts going on at the same time. And it affects the, for hockey, it affects the ice quality. Yeah. They do that. Like players complain about it and stuff. It makes it super choppy. And uh, one thing I heard about Staples while I was researching for this article, and you can look at the scheduling for it and you see it's right because of the amount of concerts that they have there. They try and almost never schedule the Lakers or Clippers to play on Saturday night. Those yeah. teams almost exclusively play on Friday night, Saturday afternoon, or Sunday afternoon yeah. because of the way their scheduling goes. And that's that's really hard to plan around for two NBA teams, not just for one, for two, for two. of the NBA's 30 teams. That's incredibly hard. I would say they this wasn't anything I went into directly. Nobody I talked to wanted to like crap on any individual team or, or arena. I almost guarantee if you could put those guys on a truth, a truth serum or whatever, they would say if Staples wasn't in the league, <laughs> this would be much easier. Like I, I Seriously, I bet you they would say that. That's crazy. All right, so before we go, who takes game three, and then who takes the series? Um, I this I picked it in six originally. Bad pick. I'm uh, I think I think the Warriors win game three and sweep the series. Whoa! I sorry. I want to make bold. it. A, I really would love to make a different. I pick. said six, but the yeah. way they're playing right now, this originally is ridiculous. I said six. I didn't think like I think the Cavs can play better. Like I kind of said before, they can be better offensively. Uh, but I don't even think we've seen the best Warriors yet. And even if the Cavs do play better, they've been blown out in both these games. I, I just don't see how they can stop them. That's scary if you say we haven't seen the best Warriors yet. No, it's an amazing when you watch as competitive a game in the second and third quarter, and then you realize they're down by 15. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, heard, <laughs> I've heard a few people make that point. Yeah. I was just listening to an ESPN, I think it was Zach Lowe again, podcast on my way over here where something may have been him, made basically that exact point. Like that third quarter was awesome and it was so competitive and we and you look up and it was a fifteen point Warriors lead and you're like what like what what happened all of the and it's almost like you didn't even feel it and that's that's just what they are man yeah my thought was is that the Golden State Warriors are the first and only team to correctly play the new style of basketball and everyone else is trying to catch up uh, yeah that's although I mean not everybody gets some of the luxuries that they have as far as. And not just the the Durant, but the, the uh, talent, talent, not just talent, that, talent. but Draymond. Yeah. Uh, not every, in fact, nobody has a Draymond, and well, and they deserve credit for getting Draymond where they got him, thirty fifth pick, I believe. They Draymond is what makes that style that you're talking about. Which you're, uh, you might be right. That might be kind of like the next progression of the NBA. 
it, he's the one that makes that possible. Tr- like at, at its core, like the, the shooting and things are not him, but without him, they wouldn't be able to play the defensive style that they play they, and have it work offensively. They'd have to make trade offs on one end or the other. He's the guy. He's the guy who allows that to not be possible to not be needed. A lot of people don't like him. I love Draymond. Draymond. Um, Draymond is one of my favorite players in the league as far as what he does. He's, I think his his brand of playing basketball is, like I keep going back to what I would, if I was an NBA player, like when I play pickup, the close, obviously on a very relative scale and with no basketball skill whatsoever, the my closest analogy is absolutely Draymond Green. I'm way too intense. Like I'm, I, I get too competitive about stuff. I'm not that good at certain offensive things compared to my peers. So I just, bust so hard on defense like I give everything I've got on defense because that's where I can make an impact like you know everybody can play defense right and like I can I can maybe defend a few different types of guys because I'm like the right kind of size like I identify with Draymond Green in a lot of ways I seriously do like he's when I played sports as a kid I was I was a hockey kid not a basketball kid but I was god I hated refs and they hated me like I was I I I, I relate to the guy a lot in the ways that in the things that he does publicly I, I really do and I and so uh and I think that he's even with the accolades that he receives in the league. I still think he's there are areas of his game that are incredibly underrated. Like for a guy, his he is the best guy his size ever at re- protecting the rim. Ever, ever. I don't even think it's like even remote. How tall is he? Six nine? Six seven. Six seven. Six seven. So like it's Charles Barkley height, huh? Yeah, and Charles Barkley was not good at protecting the no. rim. The other guys who would be in the conversation would be like Rodman was, but although Rodman wasn't ever really known as like a pure rim protector, he was known as for a lot of other things on mm-hmm. defense. And I think he was taller than that. LeBron would be the other guy who I'd think of, but I think LeBron is listed taller than that as well. If we're literally talking six seven or under, never been a better rim protector in the game than than Draymond. Uh that I think there have been very few defenders, period, in the game who have ever been as impactful as uh, you know. Uh, you know how strong Derek Favors is, right? Yes. Like you've seen him. Yeah. Uh, he set the uh, the NBA's record for you know that. Do you know about P three facility out in California that the Jazz yeah, have yeah, been yeah, in yeah. with for and several Santa years? Santa Barbara, yeah, Santa Barbara. Um, and the whole NBA is in with them now, but the Jazz were one of the first to get in with them. Favors set there, and I believe he still holds it. Their all time record for force generated pushing laterally off one foot like they have all those su- those super you know detailed tests and everything like that but when you think about that that's like what that's a skill in the post right in the NBA like that's if you can push really hard off one foot and generate a ton of force off one foot that's valuable in the post because you can you can move a guy right i remember reading that nugget in somebody's article somewhere and then i remember the jazz playing the warriors like 2 weeks later and watching Derek Favors in the post against Draymond Green and watching him slam into Draymond Green three times, slam with his strong side shoulder, with his strong foot pushing off, did not move an inch. He just stood there with his hand straight up, literally didn't move at all. Favors took a crappy hook shot. I think he airballed it. Like, And at that point, I was just like, wait, so this guy holds the record at this facility for sideways force generated, and Draymond's like four inches shorter than him and giving up like 50 pounds. And he absolutely could not even come close to moving. Like uh, to me, Draymond as a physical specimen is underappreciated. Anyway, I went. Really I mean, long on that, I so. really that means nothing to me because I do the same thing <laughs> when I play. My defense is just as strong. So, <laughs> whatever, man. <laughs> All right, uh, we're gonna wrap this up. You can find me on Twitter at B Johnson ABC Four. Sasha, where are you at? Bloom underscore Sasha on Instagram. And Ben, you can find me at Ben underscore Dowsett. That's D O W S E T T. All right, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me.
not one championship. Not two. LeBron, tell us about that. Not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven. Oh.